0: years ago, one of our greatest warships had just returned from a successful overseas tour, and a young ensign had shown himself to be exceptionally responsible and efficient, ready to take on more duties and responsibilities so After their time in port, he was given the helm this ensign was given the helm and the command to take this great ship back out to sea. So as the ship was pulling away from the dock, the ensign gave this series of crisp orders and commands and Um, had the deck buzzing with men and very efficiently moving along the way. And uh, the ship left the port, began to steam out to this channel. Um, The Ensign's um, efficiency was nothing short of remarkable. In fact, the deckhands began to proudly acknowledge that he had set a record for launching a ship, a destroyer of this size, um, in record time, getting it underway. Ensign, of course, was glowing with pride and was not at all surprised when another seaman approached him with a message from the captain himself. He read the following message. Dear Sir, this is from the Captain now, allow me to extend my personal congratulations upon completing this exercise according to the book and with unmatched speed and efficiency. It is, of course, my duty and position to offer you ways to improve your preparation and procedures as well. In your haste to accomplish your tasking, you have overlooked one of the most important unwritten rules of seafaring vessels. In the future, please ensure the Captain is on board the ship before leaving the dock... Sincerely, you're stranded and deserted, Commander. (laughs) Now, was it the ensign's intention to leave the captain behind? Probably not. I would say absolutely not, probably not. But he'd just been so preoccupied with uh, his duties, his tasks, the agenda, and what he had to to be done, he probably didn't give the, the captain's whereabouts a second thought, or maybe not even a first thought. Now, when I heard that story... Um, many years ago, and uh, by the way, Art Paulson will tell you that any story I hear can and will be used as a sermon illustration, just so you know. <laughs> but when I heard that story, my first thought was, um, that kind of illustrates our relationship with Jesus. We're headed out full steam, we've got all these tasks, we've got all this, this agenda we've got going on, and uh, we don't give our most precious cargo a second, or maybe even sometimes a first thought. Now, last week we unpacked what I said was uh, the most important question that Jesus ever asked. And that question, as I pointed out last week, is in three of the four Gospels. So in Matthew 16, 15, Jesus asked his disciples, said to his disciples, who do, remember the who who do you say I am? The most important question that Jesus ever asked. Because how we answer that question frames everything else that we do, everything else that we think, do, and say. Again, we talked last week about how important that question is to all of us. Um, Do we say that Jesus is just a a great teacher, powerful teacher, a a great uh, moral leader, uh, a prophet? Or do we say he's the son of the living God, come down from heaven to save his people from sin, death, uh, and the power of the devil? Now, this morning I'm, I'm asking you if you're like that sailor I told you about who got so caught up in his tasks that... He left behind, arguably, again, his most important cargo. But that question at hand is really this. The question at hand is really this. I even have it up on the board for you this morning. How could anyone possibly leave Jesus behind? How could anyone possibly leave Jesus behind or go on without Jesus? Well, think about it like this Peter answered Jesus' question. When Jesus said, Who do you say I am? Peter was the one that spoke up. Matthew 16, first part of the, or the last second part of that verse says, G, uh, Peter says, "You are the Messiah, Son of the Living God." Now, this, I'm going to get technical on you for a second here. This is essentially a theological statement. In other words, um, what we believe and why we believe it. That's kind of the definition of doctrine. What we believe and why we believe it. It's our theme for our youth group. That's what we talk about every night. What we believe and why we believe it. So then the most obvious reason or the most obvious way we leave Jesus behind is because we have a wrong understanding or a wrong belief of who Jesus is. That's why we leave Jesus standing there on the dock or on the shore. You're tracking with me so far, right? Turn to somebody and say, I'm tracking with him so far. This would be an exclamation point behind those. Well, admit it or not, we all have a misunderstanding or rather maybe um, a misguided understanding, maybe that's a better way to say it, a misguided understanding of who Jesus is and what he came to earth to accomplish. But here's the thing, we're not alone with this difficulty. On several occasions, um, the disciples themselves had a wrong understanding or a wrong perception of Jesus and uh, that kind of left him, they kind of left him standing on the dock as well, so to speak. Don't look for that in the Gospels, they never left him standing on the dock, you see what I'm saying though kind of left Jesus behind, went, out without, went on without him, kind of forgot what the task was at hand. Now, don't get me wrong. The disciples knew 100% fully well who Jesus was, the Messiah. That's what Peter said, right? Peter said it so plainly. The fact that Jesus was the Messiah didn't just dawn on them at that moment when Jesus said, who do you say I am? And they thought, got together and they said, well, let's just think about this for a second. No, yeah, if you're the Messiah, you're the Son of the Living God. There's no doubt about it. All the things that we've seen, there's no other answer that anybody could ever come to. So then, <clears throat> excuse me, that um, they knew everything about Jesus, or the things that they knew about Jesus related to kingdom, either an earthly kingdom or a heavenly kingdom. They focused more on the earthly kingdom. But they did ask questions that one should ask the Messiah if he was standing in the room next to you or if he was, you had a conversation with him. They asked things like, um, how are we supposed to pray? What's that look like? Since we're praying to you, what, uh, what's it supposed to sound like? And I think, again, that's a legit question to ask um, the creator of the universe. Right? We could look at other several other legit questions that the disciples asked. But then there were also questions that they asked that they might like to sort of take back, sort of try to unask some questions if that were possible. Like the time after the resurrection. Right? We don't think about Jesus in the book of Acts, but Jesus is in the book of Acts. The book of Acts, after the disciples got over the shock of some of them watching Jesus die on the cross, all of them knew it, but then he came back 3 days later and kept appearing to him and kept doing these other things, and so they were like, okay, maybe we do actually understand this. Maybe we do actually get who Jesus is. But then they went down the wrong path again because they had a misunderstanding or a misguided understanding of who the Messiah is and what his purpose was. If you look at Acts 1.6, the back half of that verse, this is what the disciples ask him. Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? So this is before Jesus ascends into heaven, and this is what they're focused on. They're focused on here and now, getting the Romans out of Jerusalem, getting our kingdom back to the way it was. That's what we were expecting you to do. That's what we want you to do. Again, kind of a misguided understanding of who the Messiah is and what he was here to do. Later on, I guarantee they wanted to unask that question after they understood exactly why Jesus was here, what what his purpose was here. Surprisingly, Jesus answers that question and says, and he gives the military, I got some military people back there, he gives a military answer that I love. He said, that's on a need-to-know basis, and you don't need to know that right now. I got that answer a lot when I was in the military. Actually, I Actually, said that answer a lot. Yeah, it's kind of a need-to-know basis. But again, the disciples, just like us, or maybe I should say we, just like the disciples, had a misguided understanding of who Jesus is, Jesus' purpose. And then by extension of that, a misunderstanding of theology, misunderstanding of doctrine, we're misguided in what we should be asking Jesus. We're misguided in what we should be asking Jesus. Like the mother of James and John today in in their gospel reading. Now, we're going to look at some questions that, and requests that were brought to Jesus. And we're going to look at his response to them. But we're going to look at his response before the question came. We're going to look at Jesus' response, his, his response, before the questions came. So let's kind of look at this one real quick. So bring, the mother of James and John comes up <clears throat> to, have a, um, to, to bring a question to him. And Jesus says this to her. Verse 21, he says, the simple words, what do you want? Now, I don't think he's being rude here. What do you want? right? I don't think it's a New York, what do you want? I don't think it's, what do you want? I don't think it's frustrating. I think he just, very calmly, it's a very curt, to the point question, but he says, what do you want? She says, I want my sons to sit on your right and your left in your kingdom. And by the way, that's earthly kingdom. I want my sons to sit by your right and your left in your earthly kingdom, right here. And therein, again, lies the problem. This is an earthly request for the glory of those two disciples, not for the glory of God the Father in his heavenly kingdom. Disciples are thinking it's all about me. The other disciples got a little mad. That's what "indignant" means. They got a little put off by that question, by that request, and say, "Wait a minute! You know why do you guys get that spot and not the, any of the rest of us?" If we're completely honest, that idea covers uh, most of our requests of Jesus: the here, the now, the this kingdom. Shouldn't it be, things be easier? Shouldn't things be a little more glossed over? Shouldn't things be a little more comfortable, a little more peaceful, a little more, a little more, a little more, here and now? That's how we request things from Jesus. That's why the this, this message title today is, is, What Do You Have? Because that's kind of what we're expecting Jesus to say. Now, to illustrate this idea, I'm putting a spin on your favorite game show and mine. This isn't who dis this morning. This is where this. I even put the name on there because I love this place so much. This is Katz's Deli in New York. Two locations, one in Brooklyn, one in lower Manhattan, but kind of there by Chinatown. Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever heard of this place? <laughs> they, in World War II, they, had, they coined the phrase, this is a delicatessen, right, obviously, kind of a Jewish kind of delicatessen. They coined the phrase, uh, send a salami to your boy in the army. Nobody? All right, well, here's the inside of Katz's Deli. This is one of my favorite places on the planet. See those dudes in the white hats back there? They are cutting meat and making sandwiches faster than we can eat them. And when you walk in the door, there's a dude at the, at the, uh, at the door on a stool. And he's got, his job is to give you a menu and make sure you know what you want. Uh, and the guys behind the counter, when you walk in the door, they yell something like, What's he want? What do you have? What do you, what's he want? And... One time they tried to hand Lillian a menu. She was like, dude, we're upset. We know what you're doing. Okay, go out and go do your business. And by the way, the answer to what you order at Katz's Deli every time is this. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the pastrami on rye. You start eating that, you get about three quarters of the way through, you start getting the meat sweats, and you really got to press through. What was my point? (laughs) <laughs> my mouth's kind of watering here <laughs> if we're completely honest again, if we're completely honest that's how um, that's how Salome, John and James' mom asked Jesus You know, that's what she expected Jesus to say what do you have, what do you want what's he want, what can I get you because Jesus uh, says um, ask what you want and if it glorifies God I'm going to do it Right? We kind of touched on this last week, but I'm going to hit it again this week. John 14, 13 says, I will, This is Jesus talking, so we should have red letters. I will do anything you ask the Father in my name, so that the Father will be given glory because of the Son. Just hang on here for a second. Let's just talk about this for a moment. Because, again, we get the wrong idea of what Jesus came to do. We're a little misguided on what Jesus' purpose is. We want Jesus behind that counter with the little white hat, saying, "What's he want? What do you have?" Right? But please notice when the when the mother of James and John, the Salome, comes up, Jesus says, "What do you want?" Right? What do you want? That's what he says. He doesn't say, "What can I do for you?" He doesn't say, "What'll you have?" Because here's the thing, Jesus knows why she's there, right? We looked at this last week again. If you haven't seen last week, by the way, grab on YouTube and look at those a little bit. But he knows our thoughts before we speak them, or before we think them. He knows our thoughts before we think them. So he knows what Solomon is coming up to ask him. So he knows his response. Are you with me? He knows his response before she asks the question. So he sets up the question with a response before the question happens. What do you want? He said. Not what can I do for you? Not what will you have? Jesus knows why she's there. And and it's cool, right? It's for her sons. But it's not for the glory of God that we just saw right there a second ago because we saw Jesus say those things. He said, I will do so that God is glorified. If we break that down, you can pop it up there again, Jennifer uh, 14, 13. I will do. Right, so that the Father will be glorified. Just kind of clear everything else out and think about it like that. I will, so that the Father will be glorified. That's what I'm going to do. That's not what she was asking. Actually, maybe I should ask the ladies and gentlemen of the jury. Maybe I'll let you decide. Should, did Salome sound like she was trying to glorify God or trying to glorify her sons? She was absolutely, and I'm not selling anybody out here, but she's absolutely trying to glorify her sons. And that's, you know, that's cool. That scene in Matthew 20, by the way, happens while Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, this, is, this is Matthew chapter 20 that I'm talking about here. Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 21 is uh, Palm Sunday. So we're at the end. We're going in. And just before, here, take that down for a second, Jennifer. Just before he um, he does all that, he talks about all that, or before she comes up with the request, this is what happens right before that. This is um, chapter 20, verse 17. As Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside by themselves, and on the way he said to them this, verse 18, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, Verse 19, they will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And on the third day he will be raised up. He said, we're about to, Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, right? I'm going to be handed over to the scribes and the Pharisees, right? And then I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles to be mocked and scourged and crucified. And on the third day be raised up. That's verse 19. Verse 20 is like, yeah, 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 yeah. Solomon comes up and says, hey, about your earthly kingdom. Can we have my boys on either side of you? And Jesus said, are you ready to drink from this cup? And she, they're like, yeah, we're ready. He's like, did you not hear anything I just said? Did you, did you not get what I'm getting at here? Are you not picking up what I'm putting down here? Now, this section of Matthew, in this section of Matthew, Jesus is very clear um, to us as well as the disciples on what his purpose is and what he needs us to be doing. Now let's look at Matthew twenty-seven or twenty and twenty-seven, twenty-eight. It says if one of you wants to be first, he must be the slave of the others. Like the Son of Man who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life to redeem many people. And by the way, to bring glory to God. That's his purpose, that's our purpose. To bring glory to God. So Jesus says, when you need to ask for something, you need help with something, ask that. And then we're giddy up. We're going to go do that. Okay, you're still tracking, right? Let's look at another scene. That on the surface, when we're reading through Matthew 20, which maybe you want to do this afternoon when you get home. If you're reading through Matthew 20, there's another request that comes a little bit later. But Jesus, are you still with me? Jesus' response before the question is 100% different, completely different. And if we're being that ensign, just seeing how fast we can get the ship out into the harbor, we're going to miss it. But if we're actually paying attention, if we're actually inviting Jesus in with us and bringing him and not leaving him on the dock and saying, hey, could you just point a couple things out to me? He's going to say, I got you. And I'm going to show you how I'm going to respond to your requests before you request them. So this would, again, look the, on, on the surface. If we didn't have this conversation already, it would look the same. But I, I pray that after a conversation like this, when we start reading through some of these things, it makes a difference how we read them and how we understand them. How we look at this concept. How we work it into our, our prayer life. How we work it into our relationship with God. right? Or maybe our expectations of God. Or our expectations for Him. Matthew 20, all right, so they're still in Matthew 20. This is towards the end of the chapter. Starting in verse 29. Now they're on their way. This happens after the conversation with Solomon. On their way. Jesus and the disciples left the town of Jericho. large crowd followed them. Um, that's a little bit of a misnomer because the crowd is also ahead of Jesus. It's with Jesus and it's behind him. So there's people in front kind of clearing the way and making sure everything's cool. And there's Jesus and his crowd around him. And then there's a, a bunch of people tailing along. Two men were sitting beside the road. When they heard that Jesus was coming that way because of the crowd going before him, that Jesus was coming that way, they began shouting, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Crazy plot twist. Be quiet, the crowd yelled at them. But they only shouted louder. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. So when they say, Lord, Son of David, that's acknowledging Messiah. That's the name for the Messiah. Like I said, in a couple of verses now, Jesus is going to ride a donkey into Jerusalem. Everybody knows he is the Messiah. There are a couple of plot twists that they're not expecting coming up. But right now... 100%, 100%, no doubt in anybody's mind, he's the Messiah. Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. These two blind guys sitting there, right? So now, they're, call, they're calling out to him, have mercy on us, which could mean a lot of different things. That's part of the call that they would say to get some alms, to get what you have, to give me what you have. So then Jesus asks a question. Much like he asked Solomon a moment ago, but it's 100% different. Look at this in verse 32. When Jesus heard them, he stopped and called out to them. He said, what do you want me to do for you? He didn't say, what do you want? He said, what do you want me to do for you? What can I do for you? Because what you're about to request is going to bring glory to God. So his response before the question says, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, they said, we want to see. Verse 34, Jesus felt sorry for them and touched their eyes. Instantly they could see. Then they followed him. These two needed Jesus' help. Right? No other way around it. He was their only hope and they knew it. But they also knew that he could heal them with a heartbeat, in a heartbeat, Jesus had healed a different uh, blind man, the one that had been blind since birth. And in his deposition in front of the Pharisees and the scribes, this man said these words. He said, "No one in the history of the world has even heard of this happening ever. The person who healed me is clearly the Messiah and clearly filling, fulfilling Scripture." Jesus healed them to bring glory to God. Ask whatever you want that's going to bring glory to God, and we're going to get on the same page. But if it's for your glory, well... Obviously, these men knew that Jesus, like I said earlier, was the Messiah. The evidence is them shouting, Son of David, and acknowledging that simple fact. In acknowledging the simple fact that he was the Messiah, they were already bringing glory to God. Shouting, even though the crowd of Jesus' followers, like I said, ironically, the followers, his followers are trying to keep them quiet. Here they are trying to glorify God and they're trying to stifle it out. This historical account of these two men being healed is also in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 10 is a parallel chapter to Matthew chapter 20. It's kind of a fun thing to Kind of look at them side by side and see different takes on the same ideas, the same things that happen. So in verse 46, I think it is, um, Mark only mentions one of the blind men. He mentions him by name, Bartimaeus. That doesn't mean there weren't two there. It means we think Bartimaeus was kind of a commonly known person so that when Mark referred to him, everybody knew exactly where he was and what he was talking about and the scene that he was talking about. But Jesus healed them to bring glory to God and to solidify who he was. As Donner read earlier in Isaiah 35, verse 5. Look at this. In the first part of that verse, it says, When he comes, when the Messiah comes, he will open the eyes of the blind. And in Mark, then, Jesus says some of the most important words ever to them. If we look at Mark ten fifty two, the first part of that verse, Jesus said, off you go to those two, said Jesus. He said, your faith has what? Saved you. Not your faith has healed you. Not your faith has made you better. Your faith has saved you. Acknowledging that Jesus is the Messiah, that he came here to save us from ourselves, from our sins, so that we can have eternal life with him, that faith has saved you. That faith is going to do some other things along the way, don't get me wrong, but those things are meant to bring glory to God. We have to keep that verse in mind when Jesus asks, What do you want me to do for you? Right? What do we want? We want something that's going to bring glory to God, not something that's going to bring glory to ourselves. And also keep in mind God's promise. God's promises. This book is full of God's promises. Romans 8.32 says this, God did not keep back his own son, but gave him for us, gave him up for us. If God did this, won't he freely give us everything else? So maybe God's question to us should be, what else do you want me to do for you? Literally, what more do you need And so now I want us to be thinking differently about Jesus. I want us to have a better understanding. I don't want us to be misguided. I want us to be guided in our responses and our questions and our requests of God that glorifies him. So before you ask that request, coming up to Jesus, I want you to think about what his response, before your request, before your question, I want you to think of what his response to you would be. Is it, what do you want? Or is it, what can I do for you? That's going to further the kingdom and bring glory to God. Amen? Okay, let's stand up.